0: As we turn to this short Psalm, the Psalm 126, we find that it falls into three very natural sections. The verses one to the end of first three, we have praise. And it is praise for what the Lord has done for his people. And in those verses, there we find it describes the return of the Israelites from their captivity in Babylon, bringing them back home again to their own land, to their own country. And we remark that, of course, this was not by means of their own planning, and this was not by means of their own resources, but rather it was the Lord that did it for them. In the opening verse it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, in the second verse, we read the words of the heathen when they say, The Lord hath done great things for them. And then in the following verse, the first three, we find that the people of God themselves say, The Lord hath done great things for us. And so here is something that the Lord has done for his people in restoring them again to their own land. The Lord turned the heart of Cyrus the king to dismiss these captives uh, as we learn in the opening verses of the We book of Ezra the chapter one and the opening verses of that book would tell us and show us how the Lord worked in the heart of the king so that he released uh, these uh, the, the captives it was of course something that filled their hearts with joy filled their mouths with laughter, were told. And so here we have a people and they're praising the Lord. Something that was acknowledged even by the heathen nations round and about. The Lord had done great things for his people. And uh, this is something that they saw, God, what God had done. They saw how the people of God rejoiced in what the Lord had done for them. And so we have this uh, opening section that is telling us of the praise that was offered unto the Lord for what the Lord had done for his people. It is certainly a picture of revival. It is God working and God delivering those who are held captive in sin. It is God blessing his people, God restoring his people, God putting that song of praise in their hearts. And of course, that is a feature of all through revival. When the people of God are praising the Lord, it is a feature of the revivals that have been noted here in our own province. It was the case, of course, in the 1859 revival, that right across our province, during that time of the movement of God in a special way, the people of God were so filled with the praise of God as they had returned home from the meetings uh, late at night, perhaps midnight uh, uh, and those late hours, uh, the people were singing the praise of the Lord, the Psalms of God because of what the Lord had done for them. It was so in the revival in the Isle of Lewis in 1949 and the couple of years that followed that, uh, the mark of praise when the people were filled with joy for what the Lord had done and for what the Lord was doing. And so the opening section of the psalm has to do uh, with praise unto the Lord for what He had done for them. And then we come to the first four, and we find here the prayer of God's people. And the prayer is that the Lord would do the same again. The people are praying, the psalmist here before the Lord turn again our captivity, O Lord as the streams in the south turn again. Do it again. And so we find that that is the prayer of God. people. Having experienced the blessing of God, they want more of the blessing of God. Having experienced the mercy of God, they want more of the mercy of God. And so they're calling on the Lord here again, turn us, turn again our captivity. We have to say just that for those who may be Uh, reading from or using uh, 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 the the modern translation, especially the NIV this morning, uh, that little phrase isn't found there. And you might wonder about that. In fact, it is replaced by the phrase restore our fortunes. And uh, the deliverance of Israel from their captivity and from their bondage had nothing to do with fortunes. The word fortunes, has all to do with luck. And in fact, the word luck comes from the Latin phrase uh, for fortunes. It was nothing to do with mere chance that the people were delivered from their captivity and from their bondage in in Babylon. It was a moving of God. It was the hand of God. And so these people here are not putting it down to a mere chance. They're not talking about something in which they were lucky to use that particular word. Here it is the work of God and they're praying again having seen what God has done. It leads them to prayer and they're praying Lord do the same again. They're praying here that God would bring home those of uh, their brethren who were still in captivity in Babylon. Uh, We find that not all came out of Babylon at the same time. In Ezra 1, we have the first uh, leading out of of Babylon. And then when we turn to the chapter 7 of Ezra, we find we have the second returning. And so these people are praying for that. And the Lord has answered their prayer again. They're praying that God would do again what he had done in the past. And people, we see what God has done in the past in revival, blessing. Uh, and we pray for that he would do it again. We, we read of the great accounts of the moving of God and blessing in the past. We long that God would do it again. Often think of a huckle uh, where God moved wonderfully in, in the past. I drive past the church there day by day in a huckle where God moved. I think of the time when on one occasion that church that had been newly built to house 1,200 people and yet one night, the Monday night, uh, so many people crammed into the church. 3,000 people waiting to get into the church. The, so many in the gallery. The gallery began to bow and the minister had to ask the people to leave the building because of the danger of the gallery collapsing. That particular night, the people stood outside in the rain, in the cold. It was a cold March March night. And there they stood for hours, listening to the preaching of God's word. Many, many souls being convicted of sin and coming to the Savior. What times we remember in times of blessing, times of revival. And people, God who did it then is able to do it again. And so we would take up this prayer That the Lord would do again what he has done before, even in our province, in times of blessing, in times of revival. And then we have the third section, the verses 5 and 6 there, and we have the promise from the Lord for his people. What a promise this is! It is the promise that is relating here to the saving of souls. It is pictured for us here in the sowing of God's seed. And that is what I want to deal with this morning just for a little time. This picture and these verses 5 and 6 that bring before us uh, the picture of a farmer sowing his seed in the field. I want you to notice first of all here the seed that is sown. It is called the precious seed. Verse 6, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. It's referring, of course, to the word of God. The word of God is the seed that is spoken of uh, over there in Luke 8 in the verse 11 we read the seed is the word of God and so the picture that is before us here is that of God's word and it's described here as the precious word of God the Hebrew word that is used here it's only used twice in the Old Testament it is used here translated precious over there in Job and in the chapter 28 the verse 18 the same word is translated price It is the price of wisdom. The price of wisdom is above rubies. The word has to do with something that is of great value. Do you see the seed that a farmer uses to sow his field? It is always the very best seed that he can get his hands on. And that is what is pictured here. And it's telling us here, it's teaching us here that God's word is superior to any other word. Uh, any other words that are spoken, whether the words of the most learned men or are men who are great orators, uh, or the word of a king, or the word of a poet, or the word of a of a historian, or the word of a politician, it's telling us here that God's word is superior to all other words. It is precious. God's tells us in the Psalm 138, in the second verse, he tells us that he has magnified his word above his name. Above his name. The name of God in the scripture refers to God himself, to his characteristics, to his nature, to what God is. And God is saying here with regard to his word, he is saying, I have exalted, I have magnified my name above. I've magnified my word above my name. Above the very characteristics of God, my friend. That's how precious the word of God is in the eyes of the Lord. And it is precious to us because it is the infallible word of God. It is not capable of being wrong. The word of God is that which is given by inspiration of God, we find in 2 Timothy 3 and the verse 15. So it is precious to us because it is the infallible word of God. It is precious because it is the unchanging word of God. In the Psalm 119 and the verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It is the word of God for all generations. It is settled in heaven. It cannot be changed. It will not be changed. It's the word of God for us for today. It is the precious word of God. My friend, it is precious, not because of what he is only, but it is precious because of what it does. It is the word by which we are born again. In First Peter 1 and the 23rd verse we are, be, we are born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Here is the incorruptible word of God that it lives and it abides forever. It is by this word we are told in that verse we are born again. The same thing is taught over there in 2 Timothy 3 and the first 16, where we read that the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. They show us the plan of God's salvation for the poor sinner. The Word of God is precious. The Word of God is precious because it brings us to the Christ of God, who is precious to believers. He is preciousness himself. It is precious because, my friend, the book of God is a blood sprinkled book. It points us to the blood of Christ by which we are redeemed. The precious blood, as it is called in 1 Peter 1 and 19, where we read the precious blood of Christ, the blood by which the repentant sinner is cleansed, The blood by which the repentant sinner is reconciled to God. The blood by which the repentant sinner is justified. It is the blood by which the repentant sinner is sanctified, as we read in Hebrews 13 and 12. The precious word of God points us to the precious blood of Christ. It's the only means of redemption. There's no other way for the sinner to be saved. There's no other way for the sinner to gain entrance into heaven save through the precious blood of Christ. Sin needs to be dealt with. And the only way that sin can be dealt with is by its cleansing. Cleansing of the poor sinner. Delivering him from sin by means of the precious blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's cleansing power in the precious blood of Christ. And dear unsaved in the meeting this morning, if such there should be, dear unsaved, this is the only remedy for sin. This is the only means of your cleansing from sin. It is through the precious blood of Christ. It is you owning your sin, repenting of your sin, coming before God as a sinner, owning your sin and calling on the Lord to save you to cleanse you from your sin and to make you right with God and ready for heaven. The precious word of God tells us about the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It is precious, my friend. We are sanctified by the word we read in John 17 and 17. We are strengthened by the word we read in the Psalm 119 and 28. It is the word which sustains us. The word of God is our food. It guides us. It is a lamp to us. It is a light to us. It encourages us. It comforts us. It comforts us with God's many precious promises, as, our, as, as we're told there in Second Peter 1 and the first four. So the word of God is precious. The seed is God's precious word. People, think well of God's word. If you get nothing else from the message this morning, realize that the word of God is precious and think well of it. We're living in an age when the word of God is set aside and rejected by the world at large. Oh, that God's people might acknowledge the preciousness, And the value of the word uh, of the Lord. It is disappointing that when we come to the modern versions. You'll be saying that man, that preacher hasn't much time for modern versions. And you would be right. I haven't a lot of time for modern versions. But when we come to the modern versions. To the likes of the NIV. NIV and to the New King James Version, and indeed uh, to others, to the New American Standard Bible, and to uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version. When we come to these, the word precious is deleted. They have other terms set in, and they will talk there uh, about a a bag of seed for sowing, and uh, and they will talk about carrying seed uh, to sow, and that's all very well There is need for a bag of seed, and there's need to carry seed for the sowing. But my friend, the emphasis in our Bible and the Scripture is the fact that this is precious seed that is for sowing. And so there is a tendency today to delete the preciousness of God's Word. And so I want us to see here in this verse, these verses that we have before us, in this picture of the farmer sowing his seed. I want us to see here that it is precious seed. Precious seed. The Word of God is precious. But then we have the sower here that is before us. And the sower is described as one who is in tears. He is one who is weeping. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. The terms suggest difficulty in proclaiming the gospel. Difficulty in witnessing for the Lord. In sowing the precious seed of God's word. And this can well be the case for many reasons. Because of loneliness isolation. If you look at the terms that are used here uh, in the first five, the first six, look at the pronouns. We read in the first five, they that sow. And then when we come to the first six, we read he that goeth forth. And so in the first five, we have uh, a plural. We have a number of people that are sowing. When we come to the first six, there's only one man, here that is sowing. We see him walking the field alone. He's a lonely figure. And sometimes there's not many engaged in the work of the Lord. Perhaps outreach teams. It is often the case when a church calls for workers to do outreach at the very beginning, there's a goodly number turns up and then it seems always to be the case that that dwindles down until there's only one or two. Sometimes it may be that you're only one, only one in the office, you're the only one in the factory or you're the only one in the family or whatever, the only one that saves. And it's hard to witness for the Lord. It's a lonely place. You seem isolated. Maybe today, dear soul, dear child of God, you want to serve the Lord and witness for the Lord and sow the precious seed of God's word, but you find you're isolated and work. You're the only one there that's saved. It's very hard to speak up for the Lord and to tell the gospel message. Maybe it's even so in your house and so there's a difficulty there because of the loneliness or it may well be because of of the discouragement. The farmer, he looks at the sky, he sees the clouds. They're dark, they're threatening. He's afraid that the precious seed will be washed away by a downpour and all will be lost. Or maybe the soil that he's putting the seed into He thinks it is very poor soil, or maybe it's very stony, and he has doubts about the success. He has doubts about what the harvest is going to be like because because of the difficulties. And people, so it is with the one giving out God's word, the one who is witnessing for the Lord, giving out a tract. Or an invitation to a gospel meeting or teaching a Sunday school or whatever. It's very easy to get discouraged. And perhaps you haven't seen much by way of, uh, of positive results. Maybe you're discouraged when you're doing outreach work by many refusals. Sometimes people refuse and it can be very hard and harsh and bitter. Hearts are hard and they're unwelcoming and the soil for the precious seed that you're sowing in the gospel seems to be very poor and there's many a sigh and there's many a tear over lost souls. Maybe that's your case. That's the picture here that is presented to us. It's a man who is sowing the seed in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of loneliness. But what does he do? He keeps on going out until the seed is sown, until the field is finished. The sower continues to go out to sow the precious seed. People, here's a word for all. It's for the minister, the Sunday school teacher, children's workers, youth leaders, bus drivers, caretakers, outreach workers, faithful parents. Perhaps you have often found yourself in tears, and you're brokenhearted over those that you seek to win for Christ. What is the lesson here? What do we get from this picture? My friend, it is keep on going forth with the word. Keep on sowing the word in spite of the difficulties. And then we have in the first six, the success. It says, he that goeth forth and weeping bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing and bringing his sheaves with him. Here's the promise of the Lord. Very similar to the promise that we find there in Isaiah 55. Let me read the first 10 and the first 11 to you. We have these two promises that stand side by side. Very similar. Isaiah 55, in the first 10, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Here's a promise from the Lord. Here's a, a gospel promise. It has to do with the sowing of seed, just the same as our gospel text in the Psalm 126. And is telling us here that it will accomplish God's purpose in sending it. What is the purpose of God in having his people to sow the good seed of the word of God? Well, it refreshes and it revives weary souls. That's what the word of God does. When we go back to the Psalm 19, and let me read the first five, the first seven, the opening part of that verse seven, the Psalm 19. We read the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul converting the soul now you will know that many Hebrew words uh, take up a number of English words in order to give the uh, more full meaning it takes a number of English terms oftentimes to give the full sense of what the Hebrew is saying here. And if we read this word, converting, converting the soul, in that Psalm 19, the first seven, it is the law of God, the word of God, converting the soul, that word converting there. It is the very same Hebrew word that is used in other places to mean refresh. It's translated refresh. For example, in Proverbs 23, and the first 13. And it's also translated in, in Lamentation 1. Uh, three times in that chapter, uh, it is translated uh, to uh, relieve. So here is a word that means to refresh. It means to revive. Some dear child of God, afflicted, distressed, worried, discouraged, disappointed, and God sends them his word. By you. And it's a blessed word that lifts their eyes to the Lord and it lightens their heart, and the burden is lifted and they are refreshed. That's the purpose of God in sending the word to that soul. Or it may be a word to the backslider, a word of restoration, and it draws them lovingly and tenderly back to fellowship with the Lord. Because that same word, converting, converting the soul, as we have it in the Psalm nineteen, the first seven there, it also means and it also is translated in our uh, Old Testament, to bring back, to restore. So it's talking here about a backslider, one who once walked with the Lord and enjoyed fellowship with the Lord. And the word of God comes to them by the hand or the mouth of some dear child of God who is concerned for them, who loves them in the Lord. And they bring them a gospel track or they bring them a a message from the word of God or a little verse. And God uses that word to bring them back again to himself. That's what the word means. Maybe there's a, soul here today and once you walk with the Lord and you really enjoyed serving the Lord and fellowship with the Lord and then something happened and you got cold and into bypath meadows and you're found today at a distance from the Lord that once you walked with and the Lord is speaking to you and he's calling you and he says to you his word is the means of restoring you again of bringing you back again to fellowship with himself. Or perhaps it is the word to the unsaved. There's always a defined purpose, always. It never just gets lost. The word of God is never just getting lost. Psalm 19, the first seven, it converts the soul. The gospel word applied by the Holy Spirit is a saving word. It can soften the hard heart by showing the sinner the love of God and sending his dear Son, Christ Jesus, to be the Savior of sinners. The word of God shows the love of Christ in giving himself to the pains and to the agony of the cross to be our substitute And to bear the wrath of God that was due to us because of our sin. And thus turning that wrath away from us by satisfying the justice of God on our behalf. That justice of God declares the soul that sinneth it shall die. But Jesus died for us. He satisfied God on our behalf. That is on behalf of all who will repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ and his atoning work for salvation. Again I say there's no other way to be saved other than through Christ and his atoning work. No other way to be cleansed from sin saved by the precious blood of Christ. No other way of entrance into heaven save by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus speaking of himself in John fourteen, said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh on to the Father but by me." Christ is the only way by which a sinner can be saved. That's the gospel. That's the precious word of God. God calls the sinner. He calls the sinner. The word of God calls the sinner. The gospel calls the sinner. And the very words of Christ, when Christ says, "Come on to me." all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dear soul, this is a gospel message. This is the precious seed of the word of God. It points you to the Christ of God on Calvary who paid such a price in order to save you from the penalty of your sin. Does that not warm your cold heart? Does that not soften your hard heart? Does it not melt you, my friend, before the Lord? But to those who hear the word and who refuse the message, God has another purpose. He has another purpose, my friend, in having you to hear the word. And if you will not receive the message of God's word in salvation, then, my friend, the word of God leaves you without excuse. It leaves you without excuse. You are without excuse. We haven't time. I don't want to take the time to read there from the opening chapter of Romans But if you read there in those verses, especially 18 and 19, 20, speaking of those who reject the message of God's salvation, those who willingly ignore the word of God, those, the term is, who hold the word of God in unrighteousness. It means to hold it down, to suppress it. Those who... Will not have the message of the Word of God and the salvation that is offered in that message, then in the first 20 it says, You are without excuse. You have heard, and the Word was sent to you. And that was the purpose of God, my friend. So that when you stand before God, having willingly rejected the message of the gospel, You are without excuse. But, dear sower, dear child of God, seeking to win souls for the Lord, spreading the gospel message, you will have a harvest, and you can be absolutely sure of that. You will be abundantly rewarded by the Lord for all of your toil, and you will see the fruits of your labor. You will come again, as our first says. Doubtlessly. Look at the word that is used. Shall doubtless. Without a doubt in it. Here's the promise of God. God has a purpose. The word that you give out. God has a purpose. And he says you will doubtless come again. Rejoicing. Bringing your sheaves with you. Those that you have encouraged by the word that you gave to them, they are the sheaves. And those that have received the word from you, and God has used that word in restoring them again to fellowship with himself, and those that you have witnessed to and wept over and prayed for, for their salvation and they get saved, these are your sheaves. And yes, and they will be your joy in heaven too. The picture here can well be extended to coming again at the end of life's journey, entering into the very home of the redeemed, into glory, into heaven. And you will be able to think even as the Apostle Paul thought and say what he said with assurance about those that were used that were brought to the Savior and encouraged under his ministry, he was able to talk of them and of the joy that it would be for him, the crown of rejoicing for him, he would meet them in the heavenly land. My friend, that will be your joy and that will be your reward. As you sow the seed, my friend, even in the midst of discouragement and disappointment, As you sow the good seed, the precious seed of the word of God. Remember, God has a purpose in the sending of this seed by your hand, by your mouth. And God has promised that without a doubt, you will come again bearing precious sheaves. There will be fruit for your labor. Whether you know it or whether you see it, sometimes we never see the fruit in this scene of time, sometimes we hear of it later on. It may well be that in years to come, those that you're witnessing to now will be the sheaves that will be brought into the glory land because of your witness. I heard tell of an elderly lady in her 90s who had heard the gospel as a child in our Sunday school, sitting at the fire one night, looking at the fire, She was reminded, no doubt, by the working of the Spirit of God in her heart. She was reminded of her Sunday school teacher and the messages that she heard regarding the the salvation that is found in Christ. And she called on the Lord to save her in her 90s. And she had heard it from a faithful Sunday school teacher. She called an elder of the church and told the elder what had happened. My friend, there will be fruit. If you keep on sowing the word of God. God has promised, doubtless, doubtless, you will come again bearing your sheaves with you. And many people have you encouraged in the things of God. Dear old saints of God, and you've spoken to them and they've been encouraged. That's a sheaf. Some poor, backslidden soul. And you've encouraged them to come to the meeting again. And thus they've come to Christ for that renewal of fellowship with him. That's your she. And dear soul, those that you're praying for and weeping over their salvation. The Lord says doubtless they will come to the Savior. They'll be your sheaves you meet them in glory. You'll rejoice over them in glory. Even as the apostle Paul rejoiced over the uh, believers from the church at Thessalonica, he rejoiced over them in the glory land. Oh, dear soul, keep on sowing the precious seed. Dear child of God, regard the word of God as being precious. Don't ever lose sight of the value of the word of God. Maintain it. Hold on to it. Rejoice in it. When we'll bow in prayer. We we'll just look to the Lord again in prayer. Our God and our Father, we bow before Thee. We thank Thee for the promises of God. We thank Thee, Lord, for everything that we have in Christ. We thank Thee, Lord, today for the precious seed of the Word of God. We pray that I would use Thee word that has preached anything that has been of thyself and apply it Lord to the saving of souls to the restoring of the backslider to the blessing and comfort and edifying of thy people pray Lord that as we leave this service now that Thou would have us to go in and with the blessing of the triune God answer prayer Lord we pray for we ask it all In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen.